AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If you haven't heard, it's a good idea to fit probiotics into your daily routine. Fortunately, Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls make that so easy. These adorable little pearls couldn't be easier to take, and they support both digestive and vaginal health, all because of the probiotics. There are actually one billion active cultures protecting against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort, all in one tiny little pearl. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play welcome to the latest edition of 100 the ed gordon podcast today a conversation with actress and activist Yvette Nicole Brown. The actress has gone from commercials to roles in some of the biggest television shows and movies. Her face and work are familiar to a growing legion of fans. She's more than just an entertainer. Over the last couple of years, she's used her notoriety to fight social injustice. I started our conversation by asking if she remembered us waving to one another on the streets of Manhattan years ago. It was one of those tentative waves on both sides. I mean, listen, it's more on my side than you. Like you are Ed Gordon. So, you know, when anybody waves at me, but definitely not Ed Gordon should know who I am. So I was waving. You know, it's funny because I told you I don't assume anything. And a lot of times people, particularly if I'm not in a suit, if I'm like I am today, which is uh, not not to name drop, but Denzel Washington saw me one day um, in a tracksuit. He was like, what? 
what's the problem here? And I was like, dude, <laughs> do you think I just walk around in suits all the time? Right. You know, right. but um, a lot of people will assume, oh, do I, did you go to so-and-so high school or do they try to figure out, you know? You do look like you could be everybody's kin too, though. Like I have that problem too. Like I look like I'm from Cleveland and I look like Cleveland. So if anybody sees me from the Midwest, like, did I go to high school with you? I'm like, probably, you know, it's just. So I, I was going to ask you about that. So East Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Midwest yes. girl. I'm I'm from Detroit. So there is a certain Midwest sensibility that I think I was on with Donnie Simpson uh, the oh, other day. And it's the same thing, right? There is a Midwest sensibility. How 100%. has that served you through through this career? Oh, my God. I, I was it's so funny. I was just talking about East Cleveland and, and the grit that it brings and not just East Cleveland. I think it's Midwestern hood. If you are born in the Midwest, anywhere near the hood, you have a certain um, resilience and a certain toughness that serves you in any career, but surely in entertainment, because this is a, a, a business full of, you know, disappointment and rejection. And it's based on how you look. And if you allow um, those little worms to get into your brain, you can start thinking differently of yourself and, and devaluing yourself. And being from East Cleveland, like the other thing that it's great about is uh there's a lot of trolls online, right? There's a lot of people that, well, I, you, you ugly, you fat. I'm like, I'm from East Cleveland. There is nothing you can say about me that has not been said at recess is that the best you in do, third right? grade. <laughs> like, you know, what do you, come on, man. I was built for the dozens. So mm-hmm. it just makes you grittier. It makes you, it makes you stronger. And I think the winters do it too, because we fight through so much with the weather. I don't want to fight the weather and then come to work and fight you. I did an interview years ago with Barry Gordy and he said people would always ask him what was special in the water in Detroit that made all those stars. And he said, I don't know that there was anything special in the water. He said, but in Detroit and Cleveland and Chicago, you go to work right. before you go to work. That's right. Or you got to clear that driveway. You got to clear that driveway, clear the car. You got to feed, feed your kids. You got to get everything together before you even get to work. So there's less of a I don't want to say there's less of a fight in you, but you really are. You're tired. <laughs> you're just a little tired. You're not. You're not ready to go all the time. You know, you can yeah. you can get it together if you need to, but it's just not your natural set point yeah. after a while. So, so what? What you you go from East Cleveland? Mm-hmm. You graduate from high school. You go to um, University of Akron. Mm-hmm. Akron put on the map for a lot of people by LeBron James, yes. and you study communications there. Mm-hmm. Did you always want to act or what were you, what were you, what was your major? Why was your major that? My earliest dream when I was a kid is I wanted to be a teacher. I was going to be a kindergarten, kindergarten teacher. Um, Then I fell in love with music uh, as a teenager and I was signed to Motown and it's like, I'm going to be a singer. Then I went to college and realized I, listen, this is going to naively, I believe, well, I already know how to sing. I already know how to act. People are like in Yale (laughs) drama school. I'm like, I got it just from Warrensville Heights High School. I got this. So in my mind, I thought I was already equipped to do those dreams if I chose to. But I thought, well, maybe I'll be a talk show host or um, a newscaster. So I need to study journalism. So that was my um, my specialty. It was communications with a specialty in journalism. So I learned how to write and how to to break a story. And we had television classes and all that. So I just felt like I didn't have that in my wheelhouse should I choose to shift to that. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, now I wish I would have taken drama classes and, and breath control classes for singing now that I think about it. But it's interesting, and we'll get to that in a little bit, because I think that that journalism bug that you had has started to play itself out down the road for you as you have uh, become one of those voices that is not afraid to speak out when when needed. So we'll get to that in, yeah. in a minute. So you talk about the musical side. 
I told Yvette I checked YouTube and found her in a video that showcased a number of acts that New Edition's Michael Bivens had signed to his record label. Found is the word. Found. <laughs> you had to excavate to find that one, brother. Yes. yes. Um, tell me about the, the foray into music, though, and, and you know, what you did. And, and, and when you love music, you always love music. Always, always. You have a talent for I love music, but I can't sing. I can't play. <laughs> I can tell you every producer. I can tell yep. you who wrote the song. I can tell you, but I, I have no talent for that. Tell me about <laughs> what it was for you, though, because clearly you have some talent in it. Well, you know, I just, my mother, God rest her soul, she was an amazing lover of music. And so me and my brother grew up listening to Motown. You mentioned Barry Gordy, who I love. Uh, Motown and Luther Vandross and Anita Baker and Gladys and Patty. And so I had a love for music from as a kid. Then by the time New Edition came around and it was, a, it was our Temptations or our, mm-hmm. you know, group that was just for us. I was like, I, my love for music just spilled into, I want to meet them. I want to tour with them. So then my mind was like in junior high, like I got to sing. I got to get a group. I got to get something going. Um, And also the Motown bug was in me too for my mom. And so I just started, you know, auditioning and doing talent shows and all that. And so by the time Michael Bivens started um, managing uh, ABC and then Boys to Men, I was in college and I saw him on, speaking of Donnie Simpson, who I adore, they were on Video Soul and Michael was introducing Boys to Men and, and saying that he was going to be a manager. And I was like, he's, he's going to manage me. Like, this is this is the path. I'm going to meet him and sing for him. And that's what happened. I auditioned for him um, after a concert in, in Cleveland and um, was signed to the East Coast family. And we did that one, <laughs> one song and that one video. But it was enough for me to just go, God, this is what I want to do. And I, I really thought that's what I was going to do. I finished college moved to LA and thought, you know, I'm going to be a singer, but I'm kind of a PG 13 person and music around that time between uh, my sophomore year in college and like 1990 or 91 to when I got to, to LA in like 93, everybody was naked and flipping each other over and singing about. And I was like, I could, I could never, <laughs> you know? And so I just kind of segued into being a legal secretary for a while. And then I made my way to acting. So that's the whole journey with music, but I still sing on, I want to do cartoons and stuff. I sing, I've sung on every show I've been on. So it's still a part of my life. So it's funny. I heard you on a couple of interviews as I, again, I I try to do as much as I can Mm -hmm. when I get ready to talk to people. And you, you Mm -hmm. have talked about being a PG Mm -hmm. person. So at your core, you really are that. Yeah, I really am. Like I, I I joke and call myself Prudy McPrude, (laughs) you know, and this, and this is the thing, there's no judgment to how anybody else lives their life or how anybody else dresses or what they sing about. I just know what I can do. I know the what, the the call on my life and the, the the rooms I'm supposed to be able to walk into. And there's um I'm just made I'm just a Disney person, Disney Nickelodeon <laughs> PG-13 mm-hmm. by nature. So, um I just there's certain things I can't sing, there's certain roles I can't play, you know. It just is what it is. And I don't it's not a I don't see it as a sacrifice either. We all have our, our we all have to play our position and I know what my position is. So, here's what's interesting that I had this discussion the other day. And I tell people often, uh, we stay with a dream that we had when we were three or four or five. Mm-hmm. And maybe that destination was never really meant for you in the end anyway. Right. But it is sometimes hard to give up that dream. Yeah. Um, was it hard to give up the musical dream or was it just a dream of entertaining that has allowed you to walk the road? You know, it was very hard for me to give up. Okay, like you said earlier, when you love music, you always love music. 
um, to this day, music fills my soul and takes me to a place that I don't care what the acting role is. And I just acted with the Muppets, which is like the top level of <laughs> dreams for me. That still is not a greater dream than the idea of like, you know, listening to Whitney Houston that first time or seeing Michael Jackson in concert or a guitar riff from Prince. Like nothing can change the feeling of that. And um, so I realized in, in shifting, I always talk about when you have a dream, I, I feel like when it's a burning desire and your heart is, you're being pulled. I believe God is in that, right? God is, is kind of telling you, this is something that you're uniquely gifted for something that you're supposed to be a part of, but it doesn't mean that it's supposed to be your vocation. So as I reached towards music, music was not reaching back towards me. And so I, I had a thought, I was like, I can continue to chase this for the rest of my life. Or I can shift and chase the thing, reach for the thing that's actually reaching back for me. And so acting was that. Now, God is good. So I'm, again, I'm able to perform and sing with, the, with my acting roles, but I, I don't have that, um, that feeling every day that what I love doesn't love me back. Like that's as bad as being in, the, in an unrequited relationship. If music didn't want a relationship, acting did. Yvette would start making a name in the world of commercials first locally, and then she found herself in national ads. You did a whole lot of commercials before yeah. you, you jumped uh, full-fledged into acting. What do commercials do for you in terms of just getting you ready? You know, people miss the steps that it takes to get to where you finally land. Yeah. I would suspect just getting your feet wet in commercials helps. Yeah, I, I have always, you know, it's different now because everybody is doing everything. There's no such thing as just a movie star, or just a commercial actor. But when I was coming up, you really had to pick what you were going to do. Now, most people started with commercials in the hopes that they could maybe leapfrog into movies and television. And some people get to do that. Not everybody does. But I do remember there being a stigma to people. Mm -hmm. That's fear. You didn't do commercials unless uh, unless you were in Europe. You would go to Europe and do and make you money, but you wouldn't do them here. Um, I think that that is incorrect in every way. I think that commercial acting is some of the toughest acting you will have to do because you have 30 seconds to create a character, make it real, sell a product. You know, there's a lot of moving parts to it. You, there is a way to do it right. And there is a way to do it wrong. And if you do it wrong, you might be the reason that somebody doesn't buy Arrowhead water. Right. <laughs> so there's a lot of pressure. And the day when you get on set, you're running, you're running, you're running, you're running. It is a perfect uh, learning ground for anyone that wants to be any other type of actor, any other in any other type of realm of acting. Um, you have to learn lines quickly. You have to be okay with lines changing. You have to stay pleasant throughout the day. You have to make sure that you are paying attention to everyone coming up to you because any one of them could be your employer, and about five of them are. Like, there's just a lot of a lot of things mm -hmm. to do. And I and the other blessing of commercials in the beginning is that they're very lucrative. So if you can dip a toe into commercials in the beginning of your career, you can breathe a little bit as you chase everything else in your career. And for that reason, once I had finished my 45 nationals, let me just put that out there, the 45 <laughs> national commercials. Once I finished that run and I was able, thank the Lord, to transition to doing television and film and other things, I stopped doing commercials. Mm -hmm. I stopped auditioning for them. I stopped going in for them because I knew that, it wasn't commercials aren't based on who you are. They're based on your look and your personality. And I also knew that if I showed up, there was a good chance I was going to book it because in 
beyond just being a good at doing commercials, which I am, I'm also, I started to have a face and a name and mm -hmm. they're going to go for the face of the name, which means somebody who's worthy, who needs this commercial now is not going to get it because I got to have everything. So I just stopped going in. The, the goal is that I will achieve enough in this career where I will start being asked to be the face of something. Like I want them to call and go, Yvette, we want you to come and promote this and we want it to be you. Then I'm not taking anybody's job. I can get back in there. I can, I can still, you know, be a part of what I love and how I started without being a detriment to other actors. So I'm hoping that that comes my way in the future. I was talking to Bill Duke and he said, there, you, you, there's a shift in your mm -hmm. career if you're lucky. And it goes from people not knowing who you mm -hmm. are to knowing you, but not knowing your name. Right. But your face is familiar and then right. they know your name. Right. For you, when was it that you started to feel like people started to know who you were? Phew, that's a hard question. Um, it's, it's a great question, but it's hard for me to remember. Like I, for the longest time, I was, aren't you the girl in the commercial, right? And then I did a kid's show. And once you do a kid's show, I did Drake and Josh. It's forget it. Every baby everywhere knows right. you and they will always know you because as they grow, they continue to follow your career. And it's just really a beautiful thing. So for a while it was, aren't you Helen or aren't you Shirley? And now it's to the point where they're saying, are you Yvette? And they're saying, are you Yvette when I'm in a face mask in Ralph's grocery store? Mm -hmm. That to me is a whole nother level. If you can see my eyes or hear my voice and know it's me, I'm like, okay, I might have, I might have, might have made it. I might finally have clicked over to. So I would say within the last six months. <laughs> that recognition has come on a long road that included many stops along the way. While she was part of the great ensemble cast on the critically acclaimed community, Yvette's career started with one or two episodes on shows including Girlfriends, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Two and a Half Men. She's had recurring roles on a number of other programs and has been part of main cast on a few short-lived shows. But she's never been given a starring vehicle. Was there a time where you're doing these and they're one-offs and you're looking like, like, what about me for a show? Or what about me for something that's more permanent? Or did it ever get a little long for you? You know, I, uh, when I moved to L.A. from Cleveland uh, and started to pursue acting, I wanted to do one sitcom and one commercial. So at any point, if I were to ever question what God was doing in my career, I feel like he'd be like, come on to glory. Because I was already, he had already, you know, put the icing on the most amazing cake. So I'm not really ambitious like that. Like, I don't, I don't sit up and go, well, why can't I? And when is it? I've, I've never been that person. I've always been very grateful for whatever came my way. And I always, you know, I, I'm a legal secretary by trade. So if acting dried up in some way, I would just take a job at an entertainment company in their legal department and make money that way. So making money was never the concern. I've never cared about being famous. So that wasn't a concern. So I was able to just kind of move through my career and just say yes to things as they came and was always grateful. I'm still grateful. Everything that comes my way, I'm still like, I can't believe they're going to let me be with the Muppets. What? what? Like I, I'm still that, that kid from East Cleveland that has such a sense of wonder about this industry. Um, and there was only one time, I remember there was one time at the beginning of my career where I felt that I hadn't done any dramas and I wanted to do a drama. And I remember saying to God, like, I don't know why I can't, I can't just do a drama. I think I could do a drama. That's all I said. I wasn't angry. I just was, you know, talking to the Lord. 
And he gave me a drama, one line in a drama before I was ready for what it brought. And I was the reason that that show probably went two hours over that day because I wasn't ready. And so the thing is, you have to trust that, that I'm a person of faith. So I always trust that God knows what's best for me. I can have my wants and desires and how I think something should be, but nothing trumps what he thinks is best for me. That's my personal statement. Not my will, but your will be done. So I've learned to just go, when I see someone get something that I want, and I'm like, well, that, that was theirs. There must be some other blessing for me that I'm not aware of, or there's some blessing that they're going to be because of that opportunity. And that had to, the blessing had to flow through them. And I let it go because otherwise you're miserable. When we come back, Yvette talks about being a part of the popular sitcom community and why she decided to use her platform to fight the good fight. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. In 2009, Yvette would land a place on the ensemble sitcom Community. The show developed a cult-like following. The cast included established star Chevy Chase and stars in the making Donald Glover, Joel McHale, and Ken Jeong. Many of the show's characters have become some of the most beloved of a generation. Yvette's character, Shirley Bennett, was much like the show, feisty, quirky, and irreverent. Okay, okay, um, I'm sure I've made some, some bad life decisions, and maybe Annie's. Decisions will be better. Um, but I think she needs to decide whether she wants to be considered a, a child or an adult because children get pity but not respect. And adults, they get respect, but they also get the back of their head grabbing their face, pushed through jukeboxes. Oh. It's such a quirky show. It is. You know, but the, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, um, certain shows that had real star power before you fully knew it. I mean, Chevy Chase came in as a star, but yeah. it, it spawned so many people who went on to, to big things um, that weren't as well known at the time. What was it like to be on that show and to play that character who, you know, I think there are characters that kind of stand on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of um, the, the the characters on Cheers, for instance. You yeah. can take any one of them out and they're uniquely different and interesting on their own. And, and yeah. Shirley certainly was one of those. What was it like? Oh, thank you for that, first of all, because to be compared to the Cheers cast, all of us would be like, oh my God. Um, it's, it's insane. You know, I, I can honestly say that when I was on set with all of those wonderfully talented people, I knew that I was amongst people that were going to go on to do great things, like especially Donald Glover. Like you could tell, mm-hmm. we could tell Donald was just a star about to just shoot up into the stratosphere because he's so uniquely talented in every way. But it was wonderful that we all got to come and play together. It's wonderful that we got to kind of learn together. Um in our formative years in this industry. Um, and now everybody's just doing great things. Gillian is directing. Allison's been on, I don't know how many series regulars or how many shows. Danny's on Mythic Quest, just got picked up for another season. And then that Donald Glover, I mean. Yeah, that guy, I mean, right? That guy. Well, but you aren't doing too bad yourself, young lady. I I'm mean, okay. what I love <laughs> is that um, you have begun to branch out as well, mm-hmm. right? You directed. Mm-hmm. You wrote a movie which you had written some time ago. Yes. <laughs> but it found its way to fruition and, and reality, which is not easy. People again assume you get an idea and you walk it in, and a year later, sometimes projects literally take decades. Literally. 20, 20 years for this one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Talk yeah. to me about um writing and directing and whether you want that to be in your future. I think of all the women who are directing now. I I'm pinching myself every single day, especially the directing arm. I, you know, as I told you in college, I I was a, a writer. I've always been a writer. Um, and the script I wrote, Always a Bridesmaid, which I wrote when I was in my 20s, that got produced when I was in my 40s. 
um, is a labor of love. And I got nominated for an NAACP award for writing for that film, which is crazy that the first thing I write that's produced um, people loved and, and enjoyed, which was really great. Um, so I definitely am going to do more writing for sure. And directing, I fell in love with it. And it is something that I never even publicly mentioned wanting to do because it was so big. Like it was such a huge undertaking and I respect those that do it and those that do it well. Um, but my relationship with BET, the, the lady Larissa Bates, want to give her a shout out, who helped us with Always a Bridesmaid, um, is a part of this great initiative um, that deals with health issues for Black women, be they mental health issues, domestic violence, or breast cancer. And every year they do this initiative on BET Her where they do short films about those three issues and they bring in, their goal is to find first-time directors. Not everyone is a first-time director, but they always throw a bone to a few of us and say, come on in, you're safe here. The crew is going to protect you. We'll walk you through this process and you get to see what it's like. And the thing that I learned, Ed, about it is that being a director, more than anything, you're responsible for setting the tone for the day and, and the shoot. And then you're also, what I think is the greatest um, honor of being a director is you get to celebrate and uplift and encourage the gifts of everyone else. The best directors, this is me talking as an actor, um, the best directors are the ones that trust the gifts of the other people on set. You want to do more of that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will let other people decide if I should. <laughs> they can watch my short film and go, I don't know if she should. I don't know if I should, but I definitely want to. And, you know, I was thinking like maybe the next thing I try, it should be, it either would be a sitcom because I, I grew up in those and I know those, or, you know, maybe I'll direct something that I wrote, like do like a little independent film. And then, you know, I can, I can have my hand in all of it and, and craft something that really has my voice. Could I'm you see yourself it. down the line staying behind the camera? I mean, would Absolutely. that satisfy you? Absolutely. Because one, I am tired of wearing Spanx. <laughs> <laughs> Spanx and makeup, I could, do, I could do without for the rest of my life. So I'm very excited about the idea of a baseball cap and a hoodie and going to work and having it not be about me, my physicality at all. I, I, I think every woman that moves to directing, especially from acting, sighs like, whew. I don't have to do that anymore, you know, and then also to be an advocate for for other women and other people of color on set and to kind of flood the zone with as many people of color as I could on productions that I worked on. That would be really cool, too. You talk about being an advocate. Let's get into that a little bit over the last as many people have. I mean, during the pandemic, we all found a platform and we yes, all we felt did. like we got something to say and I'm going to yes. say it. And it, um, but then there are those who I think have taken it a step further. Um, and and advocate it with time, effort, creation. Um, and I would include you in that. I mean, a lot of people just are on there talking. Uh, and that's fine for a minute. Yeah. But just talking and not doing. First, have you always been political? Have you always had that bent? We should note that um, you are uh, on the SAG after board as well. Mm -hmm. um, but you've always been political? Always. My mother, my mother, uh, raised me and my brother to realize that your vote is your power. No matter what anybody else says, that vote, you, you get a say. That's the one time for sure you're going to get a say in what happens to you um, locally and nationally. So my mother never missed um, an election. I have never missed an election. Um, and it's, it's really important to um, also use your platform to speak up for people that may not have your platform. 
So I've always believed that the only reason I'm ever blessed is to be a blessing. So it's not enough to go, I got 5 million followers. I don't have 5 million followers. I'm just using this number. <laughs> I have 5 million followers and they, they all think I'm pretty. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares if they think you're pretty or your stomach's flat? Like, what are you, what are you telling them about aside from how to be pretty and make their stomachs flat? Like, is there an organization that does not have that spotlight that you can shine it on? Is there a social justice issue, civil rights, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, police? I don't know. Find something that matters. That yeah, is that's beyond the world me. we're in. Yeah. That whether we like it or not, that is the world we're in. That it that, is. That I'm pretty and have a flat stomach is just as important as critical race theory or whether Democrats can figure this infrastructure. Exactly. Exactly. And also buy my album (laughs) and and my perfume. Like, I don't care. Like I honestly, the only benefit, the real benefit of being known and, and having someone like an Ed Gordon saying, would you like to talk for an hour is to use that time and that notoriety to help other people. There's no other reason. Like, I don't even imagine how how void must your soul be if you have millions of people that follow you and you just need them to tell you you're pretty. <laughs> how what bottomless pit of need? <laughs> Why do you need 39 million people to tell you you're cute? You yeah, my fear is we're raising a generation of people. That, that's all they care that about. That is what it's going to be. My it's, my it's, daughter is in her late 20s now. And I try to understand that. You know, as generations go, I was different from my parents. But I, we've tried very hard to make her and our circle, her group, understand that that's fine. You can be pretty. You can be. But there's so much more that you should be and that you should be willing to do. Right. Just that. Yeah. I don't I don't. Listen, I, I try my best not to judge others. because every, Everybody's trying to figure this out. Nobody had a how to be a human being uh, manual uh, delivered to them when they got here. So we're all trying to figure it out. But the things that we're valuing are the things that that die and, and uh, decay, right? Even if you're the most beautiful person right now, 20 years from now, you won't be. Not by society standards, mm-hmm. unless you start carving your body up and doing all that. Like it's, it's, there's a, at a certain point, there's diminishing returns on that land. So why not use your mind and use your heart and your spirit to uplift and encourage and inspire um, people to want to be more than just this rotting shell. This shell is just the meat casings that's carrying us through this experience. Our spirit is who we are. Our spirit is what is vibrant and will live beyond us. And how you use your platform and the character that you have as a human being, all of that stuff is way more important than what your dress size is or what lip gloss you have on. And I don't know how to um, impress upon, press that upon younger people because I was young too. I remember what it was like to not be considered fetching. But I realized at that time, it, the people that wanted me to be cute, I didn't care what they thought of me. And they'd be like, why am I trying to be cute for you? You, know, you ain't doing nothing good with your life. It's just policing the women in our bodies. You know what I mean? Like if the people that we're trying to curry favor from are not even doing the good work. So what are we doing going down that lane and fighting that fight? You know, I, I don't know how to get it across because when you're younger, it's just it's just everywhere. 
Yeah. You know? Uh, sadly, uh, and I think too often we do this, it's no longer just young people. You're right. Right. You're right. You know, that age and wisdom thing uh, doesn't work the way it used to. Yeah. Because we stopped, we stopped revering our elders too. You notice that? Like it stopped being, you know, I had a little dance recently with a, with a bunch of trolls who were coming in trying to defend somebody that was very wrong. And I noticed that most of them thought the best way to, to, to um, insult me was to say I was old. Oh, you old hag, you old lady. And I'm like, I tell everybody I'm 50. I just turned 50. I'm proud that I made it to 50. A lot of people don't make it. A lot right. of people don't aren't aren't thriving and in their right mind when they get here. So saying that I'm 50 um, is not an insult. If I wasn't 50, I wouldn't have been alive when um, when Off the Wall by Michael Jackson came out. Right. I, I don't want to live in a world where I'm not alive when when it comes out. I want to see him in his prime. I got to see him in his prime. Yeah, so I, I think there, you're right. We don't know how to defend aging. We don't. And and I'm 61 now. You look good, brother. I don't know you about that, good. but trust you that. Good. You know, you have to figure it out in your head that it's okay. And that it really for, is. for everything that a young kid believes you don't know, you can one-ups them with what you know that they don't. And we sometimes right. lose that thought that, well, wait a minute. I actually know more than you. I do. <laughs> but good luck trying to, to help them yeah. understand that, you know. Um, and the other thing is I always come in love. I've never, I'm never like actively trying to destroy somebody unless they're racist and hateful. Now, I might do a couple of rounds with those people, but the majority of people that I'm, I'm like, Hey, Hey guys, it's really not me coming rough, you know? And so there's really no reason for anybody to be coming hateful to me. Cause I don't come hateful. Um, I'm just, I guess I'm sad because when I was the way my mother raised me, I respected people that were older than me. You know, I sat at their feet and asked questions. And if I, if they told me that I had gotten something wrong, I'm sitting down to find out what wisdom has to say about it. Because if you got 30, 30 years on me, you, you at least know 30 years more than I know right now. Mm-hmm. You got some, there's something in there that you can help me. So I don't understand the idea of tossing away uh, older people. I've never, I've never believed in that. I've never been that person. Um, but it doesn't bother me. That's the thing that I wish people understood. I don't, I, you ain't got to find me. I, I ain't got to be cute to you. I ain't got to be young or thin or even talented to you. Um, the only time I ever will fight and I fight ferociously if somebody says my character is bad mm-hmm. and we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm a good person. So we going to, you come from my character, we going to dance, but you can call me fat and ugly and old all you want. I don't care. We circled back to the world of entertainment. I wondered if she believes the interest in Black content shows a real change in Hollywood, or if it's just a continued reaction to racial reckoning. I'm not ready to buy it yet. I think it's a blip on the radar screen. I, I do think, and this is you know not telling anything folks don't know, I still think we're living in the guilt phase of what happened um, to George Floyd. Talk to me in three or four years if mm. we're still lo- loving black content like we listen, love it right now. Listen. But have you seen a change that you believe is real yet? I mean, I think that they're loving black content content in the same way they love black content when they began Fox mm-hmm. and UPN. Mm-hmm. I think that they're loving it because they know that it's lucrative and that they can mine our 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 faces and our stories and our lives 
for money. And then once they get the money and the viewership, they're going to toss us to the side like they always do. That's what I believe. I'm very cynical about that. But I also believe that there are people like Ava DuVernay and Issa Rae and Lena Waithe that are creating lanes, Viola Davis and, and her husband, Julius and, and um, Juvie, where they're creating lanes for people of color to thrive. And I think the more lanes that we have with people of color at the helm, uh, the better it's going to be. But yeah, we're still, we're still othered. We're still, um, you know, I'm at the phase in my career where I'm pitching shows and I'm often pitching to people that aren't black because there's not a lot of us yet in the executive suites. And I'm defending what I know about blackness. Like I'm telling you, this is a show that we would like. And you're saying, I don't, I just don't get that. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't get that. And it's like, well, it might not be for you. I think it is for everyone, but on this, it might, this might not be for you. The show will be, but you may not get this, but this may not be for you, but it's for millions. And I heard your correction there. And I think we've got to stop doing that. You, you said it may not be for you. And then said, well, it's for everyone. You know, they don't ever worry about it. Ain't Never. For us. So Never. I'm at a point where we have to get to this ain't for you and be OK with it. Listen, you know what? <laughs> you know, you'll you still make money. This no, no, ain't right. for you, though. But is it, there's the point. There's the point. Right we got to hit them with. You're still going to make money. That's first because you're not doing this from the kindness of your heart. So you will still make money. But no, this isn't for you. And thank you for, for realizing that I did that. Because as I did it, I was thinking to myself, if I say it's not for them, then the next thought is, well, what's the point? Right. Forgetting that, I don't, you know, you're 61, I'm 50. We have lived our entire lives taking ride, rides in the shoes of people that look nothing like us. That's exactly right. Dang near every romantic comedy I watched when I was younger had no Black people in it. And I still found somebody. And that accepted it, though, right? Accepted and, it and is what, what it I is. I keep telling us and them, that it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, we've done it our entire lives. We looked on right. the screen and found a way to feel feel like when Harry met Sally. When Harry I met Sally, that was the one I was thinking of. In that maybe. That's <laughs> what. That is the but movie I, I was thinking enjoyed of. Enjoyed it, right? I loved it. Wasn't a bl- I don't think there was one black face in the whole movie. Loved it. And the whole point is, I'm all right, and yeah. you're gonna be all right if you, you take this ride right. with black people. Yeah. I think the reason I said. It's for everybody. This is the other thought that I have about it. And it frustrates me. I want to see us. And this is what I tried to put in Always a Bridesmaid. I want to see us just being people. I don't want every trauma that every Black person has ever experienced in life to have to show up in this film. So we got to have a shooting. Somebody got to be selling drugs or on drugs. Uh, Somebody don't know who the baby daddy. Like, I don't want that. I'm not saying that that's not a part of life, but that's part of life for everybody. So here's my question, though. Mm-hmm. I think there is a corner of Black mm-hmm. America who feels that way. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know what, it, it's this, and they, they're over this, so I'm, I don't mean to bring it back up again, but it right. was Spike Lee um, versus Tyler Perry argument. And I think that that's an internal discussion that we're is. going to have to start to have. That, that makes that we me... We haven't had yet. That makes me sad, um, primarily because... I, I know that there is a segment of our community that that is the life that they know, but I don't think that that's the life of every black person that's ever on the planet, Correct. right? So then I think it's not fair that when when entertainment comes out, it is just that. I would say the same if we whitewash, and I use that word on purpose, if we whitewashed every experience and made it seem like we're all in Leave It to Beaver. There are some black people that had that experience, but that's also not 
every Black person's experience. I just think for me, I have never felt, like I say this about the show Friends all the time. You could cast the show Friends with all Black people and not change a line. Right. You wouldn't have to change a line. But somehow they feel like for us, we got to jab it up. <laughs> you know, and listen, when I'm, with my, when I'm with my brothers and my sisters, of course, I'm a little looser in, in how I speak and whatever. That's just being with your family. That's being with the culture. That's what we do. But that is not necessarily, that doesn't have to be infused as if that's the only way Black people ever speak, that our issues are always so heavy and horrible. Like, I just want us to be allowed to be joyous too. I want us to be able to have a date and be nervous about what we're going to wear and call our friends over because we do that too. But somehow in our movies, we don't get to just put a dress on and stand in front of a, a thing and go, you think he'll like this or do I look fat? That's a girl thing. We do that, mm-hmm. right? Show all of it. Show, show all of who we are and take the freaking ride. Yeah, I, I think so we're going to have to also allow ourselves to have an internal conversation about diversity within. Agree. Uh, because there is this fight. You know, if you're light like me, you mm-hmm. got to prove you're black. Yep. to certain black folk, yep. right? If you're too dark, you got to prove that you can walk in a room and ain't going to beat nobody up. Or That's run. right. I mean, we still are still so caught it. up in these things that, you know, my argument to us all is we knew the new narratives will come when we address the old narratives. Right. But don't you think also, um, in the same way, talking about Issa and Lena and Ava, as they've risen, mm-hmm. even you can even put Tyler in there and Spike, each person, as they get their shot, they create the entertainment that they would like to see. Absolutely. What they feel was missing from them, right? Or when they watch television. So it's the same thing. So I'm PG-13 and I love romantic comedies. So if I'm ever able to be in, in a position of, of deciding what gets greenlit or choosing my project, it's going to be a sitcom or it's going to be a romantic comedy and it's going to be middle of the road where everybody can enjoy it. It's going to be a whole bunch of Black people in front of behind the camera. But my take on what blackness is would be my take on what blackness is. And I'm just saying we need more we need more people to have a chance to share their take and allow us to be different. Just like in, in acting circles, black women are allowed to be one or two things. You can be the nymphomaniac. You can be the, the, the best friend or you can be the voice of wisdom. Who's also the ang- usually the angry, sassy black woman. Those are the four black white women can be quirky. They can be stealthy. They can, you know, I mean, they get to be, you can put 20 actresses and 30 year old actresses on, on the screen and they would be 50 of them and none of them would be doing the same kind of roles. Right. And there's that diversity I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. We need they're, they're, ourselves. They're allowed to be that. They're allowed to be a goth or to, to be a, a criminal or a drug addict or president of the United States. But we have to be the best friend of all those people. <laughs> the, you know, the maid of and all it those continues people. to be that way, unfortunately, for too many uh, projects that we see. I think that the person who has gotten it best for me, for my enjoyment, is is Malcolm Lee and what he's going oh, to do. I love Malcolm Lee. It, it has a certain sensibility for those mm-hmm. who are middle class, who grew up, you know, with certain things. Yet there is still that sense of this is us and you can reach most black folk. Yeah. That understanding. And yeah. no one says that every movie has to be that either, but we have to allow for the diversity you just illustrated for but, white women. But it's also true because um, it's 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 in, in my film, Always a Bridesmaid, it's the same too. Like there's four women and one is, you know, uh, married and has her stuff together. The other one is 
is kind of a basket case and trying to figure things out. One is ratchet as all get out. <laughs> um, and the last one is just like your favorite sister friend. But anybody watching that movie, white or black or any other, you can find yourself in one of those four women. Yeah. And so that's the idea too. And I think that's what Malcolm Lee does so well. Um, everyone is, is invited to the party, but the story is still the story that Malcolm would want to tell. Right, right. With those people, yeah. right? Let me, um, let me ask you uh, uh, something about your parents. Because when we talk about, uh, again, Midwest sensibilities, you did the same thing that I did. Um, I moved back to Detroit from New York Mm. when I saw that my mom needed a bit more assistance, could never, you know, no longer live on her own. And we put her in assisted living, but I wanted to be an advocate in that city. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do it from thousands of miles away. Mm-hmm. I needed to be able to go in anytime, et cetera. Yeah. I put a bit of my career, quite frankly, over here mm-hmm. to take care of that. You did the same for your dad, I yeah. understand, when you were arguably at the height of your career in terms of the kind of show you were on with community. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I uh, community had gotten just gotten canceled by NBC and um, my dad had just been diagnosed with dementia. So I went back to Ohio and got him brought him out to LA and moved him into my house. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I just knew that he needed me. And then within that, within two or three months after I went and got my dad, community got picked back up by Yahoo screen and I was still under contract. And um, so I went and asked to be released from the contract because I knew that the hours Mm -hmm. of community was 16 hours a day. I couldn't do that and take care of my dad. And so um, I I think of it as a very easy decision to make because again, I don't care about fame. I don't care about, I just didn't care. I'm not going to ever choose my career over my family. It's just never going to happen. And I feel like we're having this big talk right now in, in Washington about the Build Back Better plan and the human infrastructure part of it. I have found in the now almost nine years I've been my dad's caregiver, there aren't a lot of safety nets for us. There's not a lot of things in place um, to make it easier for me to care for him in my home. And the biggest issue I've found is that caregivers are not, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about others, are not paid enough to do the job. So the people that have a heart for people and would love to come into your home and care for your, your family member, they can't make enough to do that and take care of themselves. I think the average is like $20,000 or $22,000 for them. So we need more safety nets and more things in place so that those that want to do this work can do this work. You know, I can't help but uh, suggest that I um, was so touched by when I saw uh, the interview you did with my buddy Jamel mm-hmm. when you were talking about your mom and, and her passing um, and, you know, what she meant to you. Uh, I can tell just in, you know, this time frame how much your mom put into you just simply by the fact that you mentioned her three or four times already. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. It's never easy, right? It is never easy. I don't care how old you are. No. It's um no, it just never gets easy. And it also you never you never know when it's gonna hit you because sometimes you can I talked about her three times and didn't cry, but somehow you mentioned her now. Um it's a soul injury. And it and it can't be um people can't pre- prepare you. I, I even if someone sees this video who still has their mom, them seeing me will not prepare them. 
for what it's going to be like for them. So I, knowing that I just try to, anytime someone mentions it, I just try to remind people to cherish their mothers and their fathers and anyone else in their life that really matters, but especially their mothers, because man, when she's gone, it's a wrap. It's a wrap on a lot of, a lot of things once she's gone. So if you still have her, hold on tight, call her, turn this off and go call her, turn it off and go call your mom. Let me ask you as we close out here, um, what do you want to do from this point on career-wise? Uh, you know, you've, you've, to your point, you may not be the same fame seeker that others are, but it, it, it's clear that you love what you do. And there has to be a want of, you know, what you'd love that resume to say uh, down the line. What, what would that be? Gosh, it's so hard because I really am not ambitious. I don't have um, I don't have a list because it's funny, even getting I got nominated this year for the first time for an Emmy and it wasn't on my bucket list. I just never thought it would happen. I didn't think about it. I didn't, you know, dream about it in that way. Um, <clears throat> so it's hard to say what. I don't have a a resume, a career item that I want on my resume, but I want at the end of my life to, to get my well done. I want at the end of my life for people to speak of my kindness and my decency and how good of a friend I was, how loyal and honest and decent I was as a human being. That to me trumps an Oscar or an Emmy or any resume item. So every day, no matter what I do, whether I'm on set or I'm on a lovely Zoom call with one of my heroes, Ed Gordon, I I am always endeavoring to to leave a sweet aroma. <laughs> you know, as I as I as I move away, I want someone to go, oh, it's great. Yvette was here. Oh, she's nice. I really want to be a, an asset and not a liability in people's lives. So that's what I hope is on my resume or my tombstone or a blog about me at the end of it all. I don't have career I'm grateful, but well, I will say this, you know, and though you are an actress and it is your job to act and fool us at times, uh, I can truly say if, as they say, uh, a smile is a calling card of one, you have such a beautiful smile. I know you've heard that all the time, and I think it, it speaks to who you are. And the one thing I can uh, proudly say is the next time we wave at one another <laughs> on the street, we will know that we, will we know. actually know. We will know another. that we know. <laughs> yes. It's Thank so uh, so wonderful to have you on today. This was one I was so looking forward to this, and I know you think I'm joking when I say like I I have been a fan of yours forever. Um, I've watched you forever, and um, to get to a point in my career where you want to talk to me is a very big deal. So thank you for this time. Thank you. One hundred is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.